Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar, Jeff Kanata, and Christy Puchko. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, what we're going to do here on today's episode of the podcast is talk about some of what we've been watching. Christy Puchko has been uh, to Fantastic Fest recently, and uh, I am really eager to hear about what's going on there. Uh, a lot of great films screened at that festival. You're also covering New York Film Festival as well, right, Christy? I am. I, I don't remember really what sleep is like. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I like. I, I mean, you guys know this, but we're, we're recording. It's like 10:30 p.m. New York time, and I literally just finished turning in as another thing like mm. 10 minutes ago. Oh boy, yeah. That's where I'm at right now. I feel you. Yeah. How, how many movies, like on average, are you watching a day? Which is oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, at this point, I'm not watching as many. I'm just trying to kind of catch up on writing about as many. Because mm. what's it, what's really cool about Fantastic Fest is they have slates. Uh, it's like I think it's like three to five slates depending on the day and you get to pick movies within the slate so you have so many options and then also if you're press like I am you get screening options so I've actually been watching Fantastic Facts films for like weeks at this point mm. oh, which wow. has been super cool but um, yeah, I, now it's like I'm, I'm home and I'm trying to write about Fantastic Fest and I'm trying to go see things for New York Film Festival and also stuff that is just like coming to theaters. So yeah, it's it's uh, intense is a word. Um, but you know, I'm very lucky. I, I it's a very cool job I have and I love doing it. But yeah, I'm uh, it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot. I have like a spreadsheet just so I can make sure that I'm writing about everything I'm supposed to be. Because otherwise, I don't know how this would happen. It's a crazy thing to have a, a mm-hmm. film festival and then have screeners for a film festival. Like that kind of oh, feels a like a lot whole... of them work that way. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's super crazy. helpful. Honestly. I mean, it's, it's yeah. really it's because um, I also do interviews at the festival. I have a lot coming up from Sci-Fi Fangirls, and you know, I prefer to see the movie in far advance as I can, so I can really prepare like thoughtful questions. Because if I'm seeing a movie at like twelve at night. And I've already seen three movies that day, and I'm supposed to talk to the people from the last movie the next day at, like, 12 p.m. My questions may not be great. Like, I might sure. not be in top form. So it's really helpful to me to be able to see stuff in advance. Um, and obviously, there's some things you only see there because they're more restrictive about what they're letting out. And also, there's stuff you only see there because you want to see what a whole audience feels. But, you know, it's um, it's it's... For for people that are like covering it professionally, it's not always as glamorous as getting to go to every movie you want to go to. You go to some that are like kind of weirder or that you need to have an opinion on whether you're excited about them or not. So, you know, there's uh, ins and outs of it. But like Fantastic Fest is always such a blast because the whole festival basically takes place in one location. And where a lot of film festivals, you kind of have to run around and do a bunch of stuff. And like, if I have to go to screenings or uh, interviews, I'm going across town. And so I'm losing a lot of time and travel like there. It's all there. And it's just so much fun because you get to really dig into the entire atmosphere of the festival where like one minute I'm talking to a filmmaker, like for my job. And the next minute I was running into people who listen to the podcast and were just excited to talk about what they had seen with me. And like, it's just really fun. It's just a very convivial atmosphere. And, uh, it helps that there's, you know, that it's at the Alamo draft house and they serve alcohol and food and, um, (laughs) you know, you can really just kind of live there for a week. So, um, yeah, it's a really fun festival. Like I've, I felt very lucky to cover it and I'm excited that I've, gotten a lot turned in and I still have a lot more to turn out. So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. And where can people read most of your coverage uh, of these festivals, Christy? I'm doing reviews for Riot Material and for Pajiba, and I'm doing a bunch of interviews and some editorial stuff for Sci-Fi Fangirls. So the easiest way is I have a thread going on Twitter. 
Uh, eventually, I'll update it on decadentcriminals.com, but I have not had a minute to update my blog right now. So uh, if you find the thread and anything says Fantastic Fest, you can kind of queue into everything else. I'm just linking it all so that people can easily pick through and see what they're interested in. Cool. Uh, eventually at decadentcriminals.com then. Um, but yeah, yeah, check out our coverage there. Uh, okay, before we get to what we've been watching this week, though, sometimes we like to respond to your emails. You can always email the slash filmcast at slash filmcast at gmail.com. And a few weeks ago, Devendra and I responded to an email from a person who is looking for assistance organizing and sorting his physical media, like Blu-rays and DVDs. And, you know, Devendra gave some very practical advice about, like, shelving and, and how to do that stuff. Uh, but we got a bunch of emails recommending an app to help with this. Uh, so this email, for instance, comes in from Thomas from Phoenix, Arizona, who writes in, Hey, guys, listen to the newest episode where you're answering a question about organizing physical media. I'd highly recommend the Blu-ray.com app called My Movies by Blu-ray.com. Just search for Blu-ray in the App Store. I can't tell you how many times it's come in handy. I love being able to check if I own something when I'm at the store. Yeah, I have a problem. It also has a spot for comments, <laughs> which I used to keep track of who I let borrow Blu-ray last. If, uh, if you're about to buy something and you find out you already own it, you might have a problem. <laughs> well, let me Sorry. finish. You know, I, I have a reaction it to that. It happens. Yeah, yeah. I have a reaction to that, and then we'll talk about you know. But uh, So uh, Thomas also writes, uh, the app makes organizing easy as I just sort of sort in alphabetical order and see what's next. My favorite feature is the fact you don't even have to type in the name of the movie. The app has a, an, an SKU, like a SKU, scan tool, that makes adding all your movies a quick process. I own about 1,000 Blu-rays at this point, and this app makes it much easier to manage. So we got several emails... Uh, nice. Including from Thomas about the that, that, that sounds super useful. I will say, nice try, physical manifestation of a Blu-ray disc. I see what you're up to. <laughs> so I think uh, he, here's the thing. First of all, Jeff, uh, I can't say that I've never been in the situation you described, where I've been at a store and about to buy something, and I'm not sure if I mm-hmm. owned it. I uh, bet I would. I would predict you could go a step further, Dave. I would predict that you have purchased something only to find out later that you already owned it. Yeah, yes. I mean, I think that's yeah. entirely possible. Uh, but I think what is... Uh, the reason Devendra and I didn't even give an answer like this is because I, I feel like, in general, it's inconceivable to us that we would have forgotten something that we own. Right, Devendra? Yeah. I mean, like that was my attitude when I read that original email, was not like... I need to keep track of all the Blu-rays I own. Like, wait, this, this is like asking like you to keep track of all the children you own, you know, or or that are yours. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I could use something to keep track. I need more something more for keeping track when I lend people a movie and then I forget. Right? Then a couple right. months later, it's like, where where is Captain America or something? Like, I that always happens to me. Take a picture of the person holding it as you give it to them. Mm. Mm. That's wow, a good. You guys I'm gonna find it in my photo roll. <laughs> yeah. I have like a binder. It doesn't take up a lot of space. <laughs> if if I lend someone something, there is a good chance I won't notice, honestly. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, I, I'm just saying it was, like, inconceivable to me that sure. you could own something and not know about it. Do you know what I'm saying? That's all, that's all like, I was trying to say. That you being know, said, sometimes apparently- those Blu-ray sales happen, right? And it's, like, five bucks. Five bucks for something <laughs> that you may rewatch once. And you're like, yeah, sure, why not, you know? <laughs> I, here's what I'll, I just, Devendra, you're so defensive about this at the gate. Like, look, sometimes I just buy a movie I already own. It's not a big deal. It happens like, all the time. If, okay. Like, I mean, look, I, I, I will I make. Mean, a, I agree, it's not a big deal. It's totally fine. I will make this confession that uh, I I have sometimes, very rarely, you know, occasionally, but sometimes I will buy a digital copy of a Blu-ray I already own. 
Like, so I'll own the Blu-ray, and then the thing, the digital copy's on sale for like five dollars, and I'll be like, for five dollars, I can pay for the convenience of taking this on any device. I thought, I thought you were gonna say like literally, like I could get up and go over and get my DVD player, or I could just purchase it on Amazon. Because I'm not gonna lie, I've been in that spot, and like my binder is literally like three feet from my couch, but I'm like, ugh. Five dollars to not get up. Sold. It depends on. I mean, like, I would probably do three dollars, depending on how my day has been. I feel like five might be a stretch, or I might just turn on Netflix and be like, "Screw it, I don't need to watch that movie anyway." I'm basically doing like, what you described for Future Dave, Christy. It's yeah. like yeah. Future, <laughs> future me is not going to want to get up, you know, to put the Blu-ray in. So you're so much nicer to Future Dave. I know. I try, I try to be nice to Future Dave. I, I, I just pile stuff on Future Christie. I'm like, well, this didn't get done. That's Future Christie's problem. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair fair reaction as well. So, uh, Jeff, were you going to say something? Some, someday, uh, I hope that our, our AI overlords are sufficiently advanced that we can have an app that when you when you go to buy something, will literally just show you a picture of where that thing is in your house at that moment. Oh, yeah. And just a big red X over it going, don't buy, don't buy, don't mm. buy. We are that building like the that first technology. act of the Black Mirror episode. I don't know about that. I don't, I don't want anything to be It just involves scanning every square inch of your home. You know, <laughs> what's wrong with that? That's totally fine and cool. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. There are definitely moments where I'm like, where are those jeans that I want to wear? Like, that would be mm-hmm. great. But I, I will say, yeah, related to this topic, I do really actually like the idea of buying a digital copy of a movie I already own. If all the special features are on the digital copy, because mm. I actually much prefer if there's a commentary there and I could just like hit a couple of buttons and get that playing on my Apple TV. Uh, that's that's pretty nice. Or if it's a really long making a featurette uh, and it's not always convenient to pull out a disc to get that going and navigate through menus and stuff. I would much more, you know, rather go through special features on on the digital version. I think for me, it's the traveling. It's the traveling. It's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could take this Blu-ray and use Handbrake and rip it and put it onto my iPhone or whatever, uh, or I could spend five dollars and I can just like download it anytime forever, you know. Mm. Um, so that's the uh, that's the conflict I have internally when that happens. I, I, this is not a, going to be a popular opinion among <laughs> you guys or our uh-huh. audience, I, I, I imagine, but uh, I have long felt this way about books and have come to feel this way about movies. There's always something else to watch. There's always something I've been wanting to see that I haven't seen. So the number of things that I'll need to retain because I'll revisit them is really small, is really small. Because the, the time that I'm going to spend reading a book, watching a movie, it tends to be there's a bunch of things that I've been meaning to watch or meaning to read. I've got, I, I, there's so many things I haven't yet experienced even once that the list of things – and there are some. There are some movies that I like to revisit. But it's a very, very small list for me at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's fair enough, Jeff. You know, uh, but then sometimes some people out there might be like me, which you know, I turn on uh, the TV and rather than choose from the bounty of new things on Amazon and Netflix and Hulu, uh, end up watching Michael Clayton for the eighteenth time. You know, yeah. so Siri, oh, Siri, so find good. me a good sit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So thanks to all the people for writing in. The app is My Movies, and it's put out by Blu-ray.com. Uh, and one other email. This one comes in from Daniel, who writes in the slash from gmail.com. I am listening to your podcast at 1.4 times speed, and I hear Jeff advocating against the consumption of sped-up media. I felt compelled to write in as to why he's right. 
I, like the monster who wrote in a few weeks ago, have a busy life and a lot of podcasts to get through. I also play Destiny and have a lot of YouTube videos to get through to keep current on the latest stuff, so I consume my media at an accelerated rate. I recently had to spend a total of eight hours in a car with a friend. I was very excited to introduce him to Slash Film and a plethora of other podcasts. He is a normal... Daniel writes, he is a normal, so I had to play him the podcast in regular speed. I was horrified. <laughs> By the way, that term, don't use it. I don't know. <laughs> it's just bad. But go on. We, they, we prefer normie. Normie, yeah. <laughs> I was horrified to find out I could not listen to any of you speak at normal speed. It all just sounded way too strange to me. It gave me anxiety how slow everyone was speaking. I could not enjoy the experience wow. of having someone listen to Slash Film for the first time. The thing I want people to take away from my experience is just to be aware that once you go 1.4 or 2 times speed for long enough, you can never go back to normal. And like Jeff said, a lot is lost in speeding up the material. You don't realize this because how could you? You're consuming the media at an unnatural rate. Eating good food slowly uh, tastes different than just wolfing it down. Sincerely a concerned citizen. That's a nice um, homage. Doesn't sound like he stopped his practice though. (laughs) I can't he's help like, myself. He's, I, yeah. I just want to take a second to be like, and he didn't specifically say it's an episode I'm on, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna believe it is because no one in my life has ever said I spoke slowly, and I, uh-huh. I just wanna, I wanna appreciate that moment that even if it's only because he's been listening to the episode sped up, I will take that hmm. and I will savor it. You know, in uh, at, an, at a corporation that I may or may not work for. Um, they have this term they call uh, one-way doors or two-way doors. You know, one-way door is like a decision that's basically irreversible, and two-way doors is like a decision that's reversible. And yeah. uh, sounds like listening to podcasts at two times speed is like a one-way door. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, like I've listened to books that way. I'm not mad at it. There are certain books where people are just reading way too slowly. I think a podcast might be trickier for me because I feel like there's. The, the going back and forth between people's conversation, I think that might be jarring, but I've never tried it, so. Hmm. Well, anyway, thanks to uh, the gentleman who wrote in whose email I closed. Um, oh, Daniel, uh, for writing into slashfilmcast.gmail.com, uh, affirming that Jeff Kanata is right. Um, yeah. You know, he, he rarely yeah, is, so it's nice for him to get some encouragement once in a while. <laughs> um, don't be a Daniel except for knowing that I'm right. Then yeah. definitely be a Daniel, but don't be a Daniel. The other thing, you yeah. know what I mean? That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, okay. So thanks for writing in slash filmcast at gmail.com. Let's move on. Uh, and what's coming up next is what we've been watching. And then we're going to dive into an in-depth review of minding the gap. That is the film that I chose, uh, from winning the summer movie wager this year. Uh, everyone graciously watched it. And uh, will tell me whether or not it was as delightful and enjoyable and revelatory as Gods of Egypt, the last film that I prescribed everyone to watch. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion. <laughs> high that. bar. High no, bar. Super high. Super high. My understanding is it's still anybody's game at this point. <laughs> anybody's I'll keep that in mind, Jeff. I'll keep that in yeah. mind that that is your understanding. Let's get to what I've been watching. Christy Puchko, you've been at Fantastic Fest. Tell us about some of the movies you saw there. Yeah, so um, Fantastic Fest opening night was Halloween. Uh, It was a really big deal. Jamie Lee Curtis was there along with some of the cast and creators of uh, the original Halloween and its sequel, which uh, I won't go into spoilers because I understand this is tender. I will say this. This Halloween, also just called Halloween, (laughs) is a direct sequel to the first one and only the first one. Right. Every other Halloween movie does not exist within the mythos of this sequel co-written by Danny McBride and uh, David Gordon Green. So let me um, let me get this straight. 
Halloween is a sequel to Halloween. And if a Halloween has a number after it, it's not a sequel to Halloween. Also, not the Rob Zombie ones or Halloween. I think Resurrection was the only way to know that it's a sequel is if there's no number after it. Hmm. (laughs) I'm not I'm not going to pretend like this makes a lot of sense, but I had a lot of people who were very insistent to me about which movies were in canon or not. So I want to make that clear. So those of you curious know going in, it's just the first one. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting. They, they decided to create a new branch to this franchise and to figure out like what else they could say with the story. It's a mixed bag for me. A lot of people walked out totally loving the movie. Uh, I think there are parts that work very well and parts that do not. And they, it's the same thing that it makes it work and not, which is that it is a very stern film at times and it feels very dramatic and it's dealing with like Laurie Strode 40 years later and what she's going through being still traumatized by what happened, uh, you know, at that Halloween night. And then conversely, there's these moments that feel very Danny McBride where it's just like cops talking about bond me sandwiches and like a sassy babysitter joking around with the kid she's sitting for. And, and like, in one instance that work like it works really well, which there's like a sequence in the middle that I won't say what it is because I don't want to spoil anything. But there's a sequence in the middle where I feel like this turn from comedy to to like straight faced horror works really well because of the you know the invasion you feel by the latter. But just jumping back and forth between like Jamie Lee Curtis giving a really harrowing performance and then being like, here's some cops doing comedy. It's just like that was really weird to me. So mixed feelings on Halloween. Um, but it was a really fun movie to have there. It was very cool that Jamie Lee Curtis came and did a Q&A after and she was very funny and she flipped a guy off in the audience for calling her old and that was delicious. Um, he didn't like mean to like I feel like like I, that should be clear. He was trying to ask a question as anyone who's been to a Q&A knows um, you often say things terribly when you're like talking to someone uh, across a the theater and you just want to say something cool and he basically called her old and she flipped him off and it was hilarious uh, but yeah and it was neat they had like a, a photo op where you could take a picture with like Michael Myers in a closet door so that, that was very fun and very upsetting to walk by a million times a day because it's like you literally walk by it and I kept checking to make sure like the Michael Myers mannequin was still there and I thought at some point it's going to be gone and that's going to be even more upsetting I wish mm. they would just like put it in like random places right the theater, like in in a bathroom stall, just slightly looking uh, over, over the stall. Yeah. Uh, or the back of the theater. Good. Yeah. It was pretty good. They also like at the opening, uh, they had guys, Michael Myers, like dressed up that came into the theater at the VR, but like the, everything went dark and then they brought the lights up and there was Michael Myers, which was really fun. That's kind of the stuff that like Fantastic Fest has kind of a lot of uh, engagement moments. So yeah, fant- uh, Halloween was super, super rad. Um, but, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it at that just because, uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys will talk about this more in depth later. Um, so Halloween, uh, the, uh, movie is released in theaters. I think it, October 19th is the release date, if I'm not mistaken. So it's yes. like a few weeks from now it will be in wide release. Uh, Christy, I feel like sometimes like, like I'm taking crazy pills when I see these reactions come out of film festivals where everyone's like, Halloween, amazing, uh, the predator, spectacular. And then you <laughs> see the movie at theater when it opens in a theater and it's like, wow, that was actually like pretty terrible. I still talk about the first time I saw the movie Catfish. At the Sundance mm-hmm. Film Festival, right? Like no one, right? That or, must have been mind blowing. Right, a couple hundred people in the world had seen that movie, and then now almost everyone knows what that term is, right? Like right. almost everyone you yeah, know knows crazy. the term catfish, and it's just like it was insane to be there at the start. So I understand, like 
a film festival atmosphere is like electric, right? Yeah. It can be like really uh, impacting of how you view films. No, yeah, we totally. Saw the, um, we saw the um, best worst movie at South by the oh, year that it fun. Was, it was such a blast. Yeah. And then we did a live show there for the totally rad show when I was doing that. And uh, it, it, it's one of those things where you're like, everybody needs to see this movie and nobody can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's and I think that's part of it. I think that film festivals, uh, I would say less so than New York ones. And I say that because like I've covered those two, but it's, it's, uh, they're just a little different, which like I won't bore you with all the minutia of that. But uh, with like Fantastic Fest and some of the other big fence films, especially genre festivals where you have, I would say like a, a kind of more just naturally geared up audience because like it's genre stuff and it's like you get to really geek out about it. Like you don't have to kind of pretend like, oh, well, you know, this is going to be a prestigious Oscar piece. You just get to be like, oh my God, this one has killer zombies that are Nazis. Like, you know, you just can have that kind of geek out moment. Um, I think that there is an atmosphere that encourages enthusiasm. Um, and also a lot of reviews that you get out of film festivals sometimes are being written like right after. So maybe right. the person didn't have as much time to kind of like really dig in. Um, and I'm not just and like that's just it's again, it's like a, it's a matter of context. Um, and like it's part of why I'm behind right now is that I focused so much on doing interviews while I was there and didn't write a lot of reviews while I was there. So now I'm like trying to kind of catch up and it's trickier to kind of remember those feelings of excitement or like disgust or whatever your initial reaction was. So it's a lot of times when you're getting tweets out of film festivals, it's people who just walked out of the theater and are are excited about the movie in either positively or negatively, but also like want to be one of the first people to comment on it, which is a very heady thing to do. Like, it's just really exciting when you're one of the first people. Cause then everybody like has a thought. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I didn't actually end up tweeting very much like immediate reviews from stuff because Honestly, it's like I wanted to go outside and talk to people <laughs> about what I saw or I had to get in line for another movie or I, you know what I mean? So uh, I don't have a lot of tweets like that out of Fantastic Fest. But yeah, people do tend to, I don't want to say overhype it because I don't think that what they're feeling is insincere, but it's impacted by an environment that is like really gung ho for what they're seeing. You know mm. what I mean? Yep, yep. Um, well, uh, that did not sway you apparently on Halloween, <laughs> which yeah. is, a, which I think is a good, I think is a good thing. It's like, you know, like, you know, you know, it was an authentic experience if like, even in spite of all that excitement, it still didn't kind of have, make, make an impact in the way that you wanted it to. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out when the movie comes out in a few weeks. So that's Halloween. What else have you been watching, Christy? Um, so I'll make the, the, uh, so I, I saw Destroyer, which, uh, it's funny. I was like talking about prestige picks. This is way more prestige than genre. It is like a gritty cop movie done by Karen Kusama. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Kareen, Kareen Kusama. I think, I think I'm saying her first name, right? She's the um, woman who directed the invitation, right? Yeah. The invitation and Jennifer's body and Aeon flux and girl fight. And, uh, she's fascinating. And the movie stars, Nicole Kidman is this like hardened cop who had like, a undercover job go wrong and now she feels like this is her moment that she can make it right and it's uh people are kind of referring to it as like dirty harriet in context or in uh in premise and uh yeah i guess that that tracks it's a really it's it's a really good drama it's very exciting and i feel like uh the less you know about it the better so that's kind of all i want to say aside from it's coming out this december and people should just go see it because it's a really sensational crime drama with performances that are really gonna knock you out like i mean i think nicole kidman's a great actress but this is like a role i've never seen her play before and it's so fun to watch her just be like a jerk cop you're not prepared for it like like something it sounds like something i've always wanted and just would never have so right 
Yeah, yeah, it's, can't it, wait for it. It feels like a Mad Lib. It's just so good. <laughs> um, and like Tatiana Maslany's in it, and Sebastian Stan, and Toby Kebbell's. There's like people you recognize in it, but it might take you a minute because, uh, man, they these are like some characters who are living hard lives. So it's a it's a very uh, n- a non glamorous cop movie. Like it's not like one of those fantasy movies of like you know she's gonna get her righteous revenge. Like it's way grittier and way uglier and just delicious. Let's you think delicious. Des- apparently, I'm hungry. <laughs> That's Destroyer, and it'll be out in theaters this December. It looks awesome. Uh, what else have you been watching? Uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I was going to talk about Bad Times at the El Royale, but I'm sure you guys will talk about that soon because it's coming out super soon. Mm-hmm. Briefly, very fun. Uh, Drew Goddard does good stuff. Uh, but I want to take a moment to talk about Madame Yanklova's Fine Literature Club which is one of my favorite movies from the festival and one that I don't know if and when people will get to see here. It's an Israeli Israeli dark comedy that has an element of fantasy. It's actually considered the first fantasy film ever made in Israel. And it is about a secret society of women who invite men over for dinner every week. And um, I want to say as little about it as possible, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a dinner you'd want to be invited to. I'll say that um, to, to the gentleman in the room. Uh, but it's very funny, and it's it's made by this uh, writer-director who is just so sharp. And when we talked about the film, I did an interview with him that was so much fun, and he was so just bubbly and lovely. And he was telling me that uh, <laughs> that his inspirations for the film were Pedro Almodovar and Tim Burton. And yeah, <laughs> if you can imagine a movie that were like their like love child made a movie, like that's what Madame Yanklova's Fine Literature Club feels like. There's a trailer online. Uh, we actually published the uh, we were like the exclusive at Sci-Fi Fangirls for the English language uh, subtitle version, and it's just really funny and amazing. And it won a bunch of like Israel's version of the Oscar, and uh, it's just terrific and weird and so funny, and it's it is a satire in a very specific way of how it views like basically the dating game between men and women. And uh, I thought it was just so much fun. And it was one of the first things I watched it at fantastic fest and like just through the whole festival, I just, you see so much stuff. It's easy to be like, Oh yeah, what did I even see today? All kinds of stuff. But this one just really like stayed with me because the humor was so funny and so sparking and there's such a big heart at the center of it. So yeah, if you, anybody hears Madame Yanklova, like, Jump at the opportunity to see that however you can. It's really wonderful. I'm really hoping somebody picks it up or it ends up on Netflix or something. And if it does, you'll see me tweeting aggressively about it because I really love this movie. All right. That's Madame Yanklova's Fine Literature Club. Uh, and hopefully... <laughs> it really rolls off the tongue. Really, yes. Trippingly. Trippingly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what else have you been watching? So the last one I want to talk about for now is Deadly Games, which... okay. This is a revival screening that they did, and I wasn't going to go because I was like, oh, this is a movie that came out in 1990. Like, (laughs) I got to cover new stuff. That's the focus. What's new and hip? And then uh, I went instead to see a movie called Girls with Balls, which is very funny. It's about volleyball players that have to fight off cannibal rednecks. Very good time. But after the screening, people came pouring out of Deadly Games and acted like they had just seen God. Like, they were so excited. And I was, like, trying to kind of be in my head, like, okay, like, it's festival excitement, it's 2 a.m., everybody's drunk, because also they serve beer at the Alamo. So I was kind of trying to measure my, like, uh, what do you call it? Not measure. Uh, manage my expectations. And uh, But I did decide to go see it the next day, so I changed my schedule so that I would go see it, because everybody was just geeking out so hard. So Deadly Games, uh, it's going to sound like Home Alone. It's about a little boy who on Christmas has his home invaded by a stranger and has to protect it. 
However, there's some differences. Uh, one, the stranger is not like, you know, goofy robbers. It is a maniacal mall Santa that is trying to get vengeance on his hardworking mom who owns the department store. Uh he is he may kill the kid because like he has already killed a bunch of people by the time he gets to the house. Um, the kid is not enjoying this. It's not like a Kevin McAllister, like, yes, 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 and you know, enjoying torturing uh, grown adults. Like he's pretty scared, but he is relying similarly, like on games and toys and things that he finds comfort in to protect himself because like in the beginning of the film, he's imagining himself as Rambo. Like he actually dresses up like Rambo and runs around, but it's like a very different thing when it's real. And so you have the emotional stakes of this kid who's genuinely scared. And additionally, he's also trying to protect his grandfather who is like half blind and diabetic. And so like, there's like greater emotional stakes to it. And this movie is like home alone, but cranked to like 15. It's so fun. It, it's like, there's whimsy to it and comedy and real drama because this kid is upset and the kid's performance is so good. I just was crazy about this movie and it was so fun because it's like I watched this at like five o'clock, which is like a weird time to watch this kind of movie. Um, but the whole audience was so engaged. I heard people like gasping and shouting and cheering and laughing. And afterwards, the director came and he's, you know, his name's Renee Manzor and he made this movie 30 years ago before Home Alone. He shot it two years before. I think it was two or three years before Home Alone came out. And uh, the, as the story goes, like John Hughes actually saw this movie and then wrote Home Alone. Um, but Home Alone blew up and this only ever opened in France, uh, basically. And like finally it got like a DVD release in France. But we like in the US, we still don't have it. And if you buy the French one, it's not like it's going to have English subtitles. So people after the festival were like freaking out and being like, well, like to the director, you know, are, are you going to release it in the US? Is it going to ha- come out on DVD? And he very sweetly said that somebody at the midnight screening had approached him about that. So maybe. And uh I have it on solid authority that that we'll probably see this movie come out in America <laughs> on DVD or digital, and I'm that really so excited definitive. about that. Yeah, um, it's interesting yeah, I, on on IMDb. It's listed as game over. Yeah, mm. it it has a couple of different titles, and like the it's it kind of depends on how they shipped it. Like in Germany, I think it's called Silent Night, Deadly Night. It's just fantastic, though. So keep an eye out for this one because, like, I I'm like actually mad at my childhood that I watched Home Alone instead because like <laughs> we're Home all Alone's mad great. at our childhood. <laughs> we all right. Everyone's mad about that. Um, no, but like Home Alone, I loved so much as a kid, and when I rewatch it now, I'm like, this movie's kind of upsetting. Like, and like this movie had just such more interesting layers to it and textures and took so many more risks that I genuinely walked out of it geeking out so hard like I and that's the cool thing about Fantastic Fest the director's right there and even though I wasn't like interviewing him for work he talked for briefly like right outside the theater and then I went to the lobby to get a hard cider and he came over again and said oh hi it's nice to see you again and I, I said to a friend I was like I'm pretty sure he was just looking like fishing for more compliments but I was like whatever man I could literally talk all day about how much <laughs> I like your movie and so I just went off about like specific moments that I thought were so funny and were so smart and so you know I was just geeking out super hard and then I was like and now I'm like and I just started trashing home alone because like, I was just incensed I was totally blown away and I was completely suspicious because I was like no people just get excited about movies at these festivals and there's no way this is as much fun as everyone making it out to be and no it was absolutely that much fun i i had an utter blast watching deadly games so yeah take that 1.4 speed guy (laughs) i was talking fast yeah take that daniel (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, it looks like the movie is best known under the name three six one five Code Pair Noel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like that's like he explained that plot to us. Oh, and another fun thing he told us. Oh, this will be my last thing because I know I'm like ranting. But the last thing he told us was the boy in the movie is his son, mm. and that after they made this movie, they moved to the U.S. and they, he started getting work there. And his son now works on Marvel movies. He does visual effects. That's awesome. I thought that was really cool because it's like, oh, he did all these practical effects like as a child in this movie. And then he grew up and he's still working on movies. Very cool. Um, But yeah, the the way to find this movie is 3615 Code Pair Noel. Basically, there's like a ton of different movies called Deadly Games. Um, Yeah, it's tricky. This is the one specifically about Thomas and uh, directed by Rene Mazor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's extraordinary. You know, like, it must be such an extraordinary experience to have made this movie three decades ago. Ah. And no one in America, like, knows what it is, has seen it. And then, like, to then have, like, an ecstatic response at a major film festival uh, must be an incredible thing. But I think, like, that's what's amazing about art in general, films in general, is, like, you put them out into the world. And you don't control, really, how and when they are received, right? You just, you kind of, like... Take it on an act of hope that like one day someone's going to connect with this. Totally. Um, I, did. I mean, just uh, it's just 29 more years until your movie gets this. <laughs> Thanks. That's exactly what I was implying, Jeff. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the beauty of these festivals, too. Right. Because I was not going to go to this because it was a revival screening. And like and I, I like I feel like people are going to hear this and get frustrated with me. But it's like I do have to look at the festival, not just from perspective of what do I want to see, but what what am I responsible for seeing for my job and for my editors and for the readers. And so there's a lot of things that like determine my schedule. Um, but I was so glad that I shifted things as I did so I could see this movie because it felt so special. It felt like such a discovery. And it was just such a rush to get to watch it with an audience who had like already heard good things and was like, really stoked to be there. And then for him to come out at the end and we got to like share our love of this newfound treasure like with him, even though for him it's like, yeah, I made this 30 years ago. <laughs> like, yeah. He seemed genuinely appreciative. And it's like that's that's part of the thing I love about festivals is because like you said with Catfish or or with, uh, you know, Best Worst Movie, when you get to feel like you're a part of the discovery, it's just, man, there's no better feeling in this job. Yeah. Or even just as a movie fan. I mean, I feel like, you know, I think when we were kids, we felt that way when you found like a dusty VHS at the back of the video store that no one else had appreciated. And you were like, no, guys, let me introduce you to the glory that is Jack Frost. <laughs> Not the Michael Keaton one, but the one about the killer snowman. Right. The one that's like similar to Trolls 2 in terms of its quality, right? Oh, my God. It's yeah. so bonkers. Uh, well... Very cool, and I'm hoping we have a chance to check this movie out as well. Um, again, Deadly Games is the name of the movie, also known as 3615 Code Pair Noel. Uh, and and game made, Over, evidently, according yeah, to IMDb. Game Over, 1989. Uh, Rene Menzor is the director. Uh, okay. So uh, that's what Christy's been watching at Fantastic Fest, and you can find her coverage of all the festivals she's at at decadentcriminals.com. Uh, let's talk about a couple other things. I had a chance to see Jeremy Saulnier's new film, Hold the Dark, uh, which is just debuted on Netflix. Completely crazy that we're getting movies debuting uh, on streaming services. Uh, we are living in the future. And uh, so I had a chance to watch this movie uh, yesterday. And I'm a huge fan of Jeremy Saulnier, right? I've uh, loved uh, his movies, specifically Green Room and Blue Ruin. I thought they were both – I'm pretty sure – both of those movies were on my top 10 films of that year that those movies came mm-hmm. out. So I'm like huge, huge fan. And so I was super psyched to check this out. And I was 
very disappointed to find that I did not like this movie very much at all. Um, it, I'll read the plot summary from IMDb, and, and I'll just say, like, the plot summary, in my opinion, uh, really does not give that much away in terms of what this movie is about and feels like. Um, the plot summary reads from IMDb, After the deaths of three children sus- suspected to be killed by wolves, writer Russell Kaur is hired by the parents of a missing six-year-old boy to track down and locate their son in the Alaskan wilderness. Uh, so when you read that, you think this is going to be like The Revenant, you know, with wolves instead of bears or something <laughs> like that. And Jeffrey Wright instead of Leonardo DiCaprio. So it's like, dude, that sounds incredible. You know, directed by Jeremy Sonia. How could you go wrong? Uh, and the movie is not anything like what I just described. I mean, it takes really hard left turns in terms of its narrative and storytelling. Um, the the acting overall, I, and I think this was a deliberate choice by Sony's part, but like it really didn't work for me. You have a lot of char- a lot of actors like Jeffrey Wright, like Riley Keough, uh, who move through the movie like they are zombies. You know, they speak really slowly. They have like dead eyes. And I think it's meant to to sort of add to the oppression you feel from this this story, um, which plays out in very slow fashion over the course of two hours. Uh, I just thought this w- – like uh, what I appreciate about this movie is that uh, Jeremy Solney is swinging for the fences. He's trying something very different than he's done with his other films. And I, I have to admire ambition. I have to admire trying to branch out. Um, but it, it just did not work for me. I found it to be uh, a, a – a challenge to get through the entire film. I will just say one other thing before I turn it over to, to Devendra, who I think has seen the film, has a positive impression of it. Um, uh, Jeremy Saulnier is awesome at, uh, you know, like his movies are shot beautifully, but he also really understands how to use practical effects. Uh, and particularly practical effects of like human beings getting injured. Uh, like if someone gets shot in the, it kindly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like if someone gets like shot in the head or a shot in the leg or, you know, an ax <laughs> to the head or a knife to the throat or whatever, like knife uh, directly to the top of your head. Yeah. That look like, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that like some aspect of that is going to be done practically. Like he'll do, he'll have like a fake head or he'll have like blood, you know, like it always feels real when those things land, and that's certainly the case with this film. There is one scene, one extended sequence in this movie. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say like where it happens, who's in it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm pretty sure you're going to know what the scene is I'm referring to when you get to it. But there is one scene that is super intense that made the entire film worth watching for me. Um, <laughs> Devendra, do you know what scene I, I'm talking? I, I about? know that scene. You know that scene. You know the scene. <laughs> so we don't even need to say what it is. But there was one scene that I'm like, oh my, like that—that that is an amazing scene. And even though I don't like this movie, I'm glad I saw that scene. You know, so uh, not a fan of Jeremy Sonnet's new film, Hold the Dark, but super excited to see whatever he does next. I think he directed some episodes of True Detective season three. So yep. looking forward to checking that out. Devendra Hardwar, though, I think you had a far better impression of this movie than me. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's not to me. It's not of the level of like Green Room or something, or maybe even Blue Ruin. But uh, I thought this was. A fascinating film. Uh, I really enjoyed watching it, uh, mainly because this is a movie made of texture, the texture of the environment. Um, It's about Jeffrey Wright's character going to this like podunk town uh, village, basically in Alaska. It's just like it is like a you know wintry hellscape. The people living there um, seem almost like I think that like zombified 
acting style, uh, especially by Riley Keough, really represents a, like a lot of like what they're going through, just living there, like potentially living there, like sucking away parts of their soul or something. Um, visually, this is a huge leap forward for him. I think the scope of this film is just fantastic. Like you described it as something like you'd expect this to be like The Revenant or something. And there are shots of, you know, beautiful landscapes and things like that. Like, yeah, sometimes think, it comes close to that film in terms of its, yeah. vi- its visual grandeur and beauty. So uh, it, it definitely is well shot. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, it has a lot of positive things going for it. You know, I just, it, did, it did not it, connect with me, unfortunately. It's not a movie that I think, uh, I think it's a movie that makes you work for it. And that's, it's just one of those things. So like, you'll either click with the movie like this, uh, there's supernatural stuff going on in this movie, which isn't a huge spoiler. Like it's just compared to Solnier's other movies, which were so grounded in reality and just like people being really dumb or people being stuck in a crazy situation. Uh, this one tends to rely on maybe some supernatural explanations for some things, but I think, uh, the texture of it is really interesting. The broader themes of like the movie cuts from pure snow to pure sand, and the violence and the chaos that kind of rips apart, you know, both areas, I, I thought was an interesting juxtaposition. Uh, but yeah, this is a movie that doesn't really uh, explain a lot, right? It's not so much a whodunit because, uh, yeah, yeah, that doesn't last for very long. It's more like a why they did it. And to me, that was interesting. And I think I like the breadcrumbs that they dropped throughout the film about like what was happening. Uh, I enjoyed Riley Keough, though she's not in the movie for very long. Uh, there's one particular scene that is kind of etched in my memory for many reasons, uh, but I think also because it's just so confounding. This is a movie of people doing confounding and interesting things, and I spend a lot of my time just thinking, why Why is this happening, and why is she doing this? And I think by the end, I pieced together you know, a narrative that I found kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, it makes you work for it, and I don't blame you for not liking this one, Dave. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's so different for Solnier, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's also playing in some theaters, too, so if you have a chance, go see it on a big screen, because uh, these vistas deserve that. I agree. I agree. I think this would be a very uh, good... I, I don't know. I mean, if I like the movie, I would say it's a very good theatrical experience, uh, but I didn't like the movie that much, unfortunately. Uh, it's a beautiful movie. That's it's be- it's like, beautiful it's, movie. It's a great experience for that, yeah. Uh, anyway... The movie is Hold the Dark. The director is Jeremy Saulnier and super talented guy. Just this one wasn't for me. But it is for many people, many critics, uh, including Devendra Hardware. So that's what I've been watching this week. Uh, Devendra, what have you been watching? I've been watching The Dragon Prince, which is the new fantasy animated series on Netflix. And uh, this series is really interesting to me because it's by one of the co-writers of uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, Aaron Ahaz. And also Justin Richmond, who directed Uncharted 3, apparently. I didn't realize that. Uh, So this is a really interesting mixture of talents and narrative styles. Uh, Essentially, it feels a lot like Avatar. feels a lot like Airbender, um, which is good. Like I I love the vibe of that show. Uh, This is set in a fantasy world where there's a human kingdom that's at war with an elven kingdom. And uh, something happens that could potentially stop the war between them and uh, the young prince's are at the root of all of this. So they could potentially save the world. I like stories like this of like the kids, you know, really ending up being the ones who could you know, solve the problems of the stupid adults. Um, it's a gorgeous looking show as well. Uh, although it, it's kind of weird because it's a CG animated show. So if you haven't seen one of these, um, 
it's it's a little jarring, a little clunky compared to like traditional animation. So it's not as beautiful uh, in motion as Avatar is. And honestly, they also purposefully drop the frames of the animation to kind of give it a more, I think, almost like a more hand-drawn style. Um, but in the end, it just kind of looks jerky. And I know even the creators are aware, like, some people don't like that. I think they're going to try to smooth it up for the next season. Uh, but in stills and the backgrounds of the show are just so detailed and gorgeous. Um, if you're looking for, like, something to fill that uh, Game of Thrones hole in your life, uh, this is worth checking out. If you like mm-hmm. Avatar The Last Airbender, this is probably something you'll really enjoy. And also, uh, you know, a great show for kids. It gets a little intense at times. Uh, but I love shows where kids can try to save the world and actually, you know, craft a decent arc, uh, decent arc around that. Very cool. Um, so the show is The Dragon Prince. And where did you watch it, Devendra? It's all on Netflix. And right. I, I will say you will go through the show super quickly. Too. I only meant to watch like an episode or two. And I looked up and I was down like five episodes. Mm. So they're <laughs> short. They're real. They go down real easy. Uh, it, it's a fun watch. Cool. Uh, that's what Devendra's been watching. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? My what you've been watching segment tends to be like a one or two week delay from Devendra's what you've been watching segment. My Rex um, are so good. That's why. Yes. Your Rex are <laughs> awesome. I tend to follow them. Uh, and you're always on the cutting edge. That's going to change. You're about to have a kid. So, that you know, I, I don't yeah, know if you're yeah, able to yeah. keep up that pace. But uh, – uh, yeah, I'm planning to watch The Dragon Prince, so that'll <laughs> stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks. But but this week, uh, I'm going to talk about Forever, which I know Devinger talked about uh, either last week or the week before. Um, and this is a show starring Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph on Amazon streaming. It is uh, by Alan Yang, the one of the creators of uh, Master of None. And uh, I don't have much to say about this because... You kind of have to talk around the premise of the show, yeah. right? Yeah, I want people to watch this show exactly as I watched it, yes. which is yeah. not knowing anything. And uh, and I, I will just say I recommend. Milk is full of tiny reasons to be joyful. Just listen. Hmm, can't help but feel it's lacking something. That's because milk exposed to indoor light only has a fraction of the vitamins and nutrients our bodies were hoping for. This, though. This is milk from an Aluma-certified, light-protected bottle. That's more like it. To step into the light, the bottle's got to be right. Search lightdamagesreal.com. I'm watching it, but one of the joys of the show is how it keeps changing itself up over and over again, especially for for the first three episodes. But even beyond that, like, it, it... it constantly reinvents things. It constantly decides that it's it tonally different, and and it brings up rules and you know very specific things, and then completely abandons them. and And usually that would be a negative, but for some reason the show is so quirky and interesting, and really has a, a heart and a tone that I've never quite seen like this in anything else. Um, highly recommend you go in knowing nothing. But it is well worth watching. I found it to be fascinating and interesting. It sort of borrows from a lot of things. That are, you will probably go, oh, yeah, this is kind of like that or it's kind of like this. But it carves out its own unique voice even inside a, a structure that that uh, might be reminiscent of other things. It's it's a very interesting show. Forever on Amazon streaming. It's so good. I, I want to reiterate, Maya Rudolph is a queen. And yeah, we should treat her as such and give her all the great roles because she's amazing in this show, uh, even more so than Fred Armisen, I think. And uh, I, I will say, like, one thing, if you're not into the vibe of the show early on, 
there is one episode in the middle and it stars Hong Chao. Exactly it's so about. good. It's a ama- it's worth like I hate doing this and saying this, but it's honestly worth getting at least through the middle of the season just to see that episode. I've I've never had a show where I've turned to my wife as we're watching it as many times as this one and gone, did we start a different show by accident? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just I just so. watched the episode you're talking about yesterday, Devendra. I really yeah yeah. Anyway, yep. um, okay. Well, the show's forever. It's on Amazon Prime, and that's where you can check it out. And that is what we've been watching this week. Before we move on, we want to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. Thanks to Maddie from Portland, Oregon, with a, a very kind note about her donation. Thanks to Kyle, who got some camera advice from me this week on Twitter and then decided to donate to the show. Thanks to Ian Hutton from Culver City, California, who writes, This donation is on behalf of my good friend Michael McLean, who doesn't care much for gifts, but he turned me on to your show. And I think he'd appreciate getting a shout-out if uh, that's possible. Thanks for all you do. It means more than you'll probably ever know. Excelsior! That's for you. Yay. David Grimm, David Moore, Todd Hampton, Declan Glynn. Thanks so much for your contributions. Thanks also to new subscribers at the rate of $2 per month. Tony Link, Alexander Silakis, Silakis, Mike Thanks, Shaw, and the computer guy of Northeast Wisconsin. Thank you so much for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. Uh, if you want to support this show and help us defray the cost of seeing movies, you can always go to SlashFilm.com, use the PayPal links on the side of the page that appear after you click on the Slash Filmcast tab. You can also go to PayPal.me slash Filmcast. Uh, we appreciate all your donations, but please do not donate if it in any way causes you any hardship whatsoever. Uh, but if it does not, uh, throw some cash our way. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, so that's all for donations. Let's move on into our review of Minding the Gap. Take one. I'm making this film because I saw myself in your story. I always felt like I didn't fit in with my family. My parents ran this very controlling house. I ran away a lot. Skateboarding is more of a family than my family. How did you get disciplined? I mean, well, they call it child abuse now, but... Life might be moving too fast. We have to fully grow up, and it's going to suck. When you're a kid, you just do. You just act. And then somewhere along the line, everyone loses that. I knew you had some huge weight on you. Skateboarding meant more to you. It was kind of a life-or-death thing. I remember hearing screaming coming from your room, and it was, like, really, really unnerving. That was from the trailer of Minding the Gap, New film right now on Hulu, Hulu original film. I think it's also in limited release in theaters as well. It's directed by Bing Liu. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Three young men bond together to escape volatile families in their Rust Belt hometown. As they face adult responsibilities, unexpected revelations threaten their decades-long friendship. Um, so you should make you should make clear it's a documentary. Yes, it is a documentary. I think it won the audience uh, award at Sundance last year, uh, and wound its way onto Hulu and then onto the summer movie summer movie wager victor list. Uh, and we've all watched it as part of the summer movie wager agreement. Uh, and Christy Puchko, I want to hear what you thought of this movie. This is this is a movie actually. I think like. None of us really thought we were going to watch. Even I yeah. didn't think I was going right. to watch it. Yeah. Right? yeah. 
I got I eaten on about before, this. Christy, before, before you go, just real quick, can I just say it's no gods of Egypt? <laughs> yeah, go ahead, that's is to, to forever to its detriment. But go ahead. <laughs> just, sorry, Christy. Go ahead. Um, so this summer I got emailed about this movie a lot and I just kept ignoring it because it didn't really interest me. I was just like, I don't, I wasn't a skateboarder. I don't care. And so I honestly would have continued to just not watch this movie, even though I heard it was good. Um, but it was also part of like there, it was like basically this skate kitchen and Jonah Hill's mid nineties were all kind of coming out at the same time. And I was like, (laughs) I am not watching three movies about skateboarding. Um, but I'm really glad that you made this your pick because it forced me to watch a movie that I was going to ignore. And I feel like I would have missed out. I think that minding the gap is really interesting. Um, because it's not like, it sounds like it should be insufferable, honestly, yes, where it's yes. like a guy, yeah, a guy <laughs> who grew up shooting his friends skateboarding is making a movie about his friends and like why they skateboard and who they are as adults. And it just sounds like it should be navel gazing crap. Like it sounds like it should be him just being like, my friends are really good people. and No one understands it. And it feels like there's going to be no sense of self-reflection to me based on the premise. But that was completely I'm completely misjudged. I was totally wrong. And admittedly. I might have been viewing this suspiciously because I did see mid-90s when I was at Fantastic Fest, which is the Jonah Hill one, and which I do think is nasal nasal graving bullshit. Uh, You can read more about that online. I think navel gazing, I think, is what you meant, right? (laughs) Yes. Sorry. This movie is so bad, it's navel grazing. (laughs) um, But no, it's like like mid-90s does this whole thing where it acts like being skate kids is like inherently interesting. And what I thought was so good about this is that it it talked about the stuff that skate movies tend to talk about in like the first 10 minutes where they're basically like i skate because of this this and this this is how i feel when i skate and at that point i was like where is this gonna go we've already hit all the cliches (laughs) there's like what's gonna happen and what's actually really interesting is the filmmaker doesn't just say like this these are my friends and this is why we're cool or something which honestly is where some of these movies stop uh he really looks at their lives and doesn't just look at how skating saved them, but looked out at how skating helps them avoid things that maybe they need to deal with. And uh, we can get more into this in a bit, but I was really surprised by the turn the film takes and the confrontation he ends up having because it felt like they introduced this thread that is a, a taboo topic. And it's something that's hard to talk about even in polite conversation, much less when you're trying to address it with a friend of yours. And I thought that the way the film deals with it is really surprising and really brave because, you know, he doesn't go easy on his friends just because they're his friends. He really looks at himself and his family and his friends in a way that is bracing and in a way that makes you want to like evaluate what's going on, not just in in that world, but like, uh, you know, among your own group of like, if I was ignoring this thing, you know, or, like, am I ignoring these things like these guys did for a while? Mm. And that's as day goes, I'll get until I guess we get spoilers. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know um, and I'll say I had the same reaction as you, Christy. I mean, I'd heard from a lot of people this movie was amazing and it was reviewed really well. And that's why I recommended it or, or not recommended it. I mean, let's be honest, forced everyone to watch it. Um, but uh, when I uh, was listening to interviews with the director – um, the, like there was an interview with uh, the director on the business, which is a podcast that I really enjoy. It's on KCRW, 
And usually, you know, in the opening of the episode of the uh, the podcast, they like describe like here is like what the premise of the movie is, and here's what the director did to bring it to life. And I literally shut it off like right after they said the premise. I was like, that <laughs> has no interest. Like she's like, you know, director Bing Lu filmed his friends for like th- several decades as they skated, and I was just like, before she even finished, I was like, I'm out. Don't care about this one. Um. So I, I I completely agree. Like this movie does not feel like it should work. Um, but that being said, Jeff Kanata, did it work for you? Uh, minding the gap, the biggest transgression that this movie commits is that it made me not hate the fact that David Chen won this. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, uh, movie. I can't believe that it made, managed to accomplish that, but uh, no, this movie is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I, everybody should see it, and it was particularly impactful to me watching it this week in the shadow of the Ford Kavanaugh hearings uh, because this movie is so much about America right now. It's about men and women, fathers and sons. Uh, how we treat one another. It's about violence. Um, it's about hopes and desires and dreams. It is an extraordinarily well put together documentary and that this kid did it, uh, you know, and sort of just, I, I just wonder what the fallout of this movie is among his friends and his life. And it feels almost, um, it feels almost uh, like a betrayal to his to his whole world, you know, or not a betrayal, but just sort of a uh, uh, an an a revelation. You know, he's revealing things that he shouldn't be revealing to the world, um, and it's it, it is honest and stark and uh, scathing in ways. It, it is it's it's an amazing piece of work and. I agree. I, I was never a person that got into skateboarding. I kind of admire it from afar, but I, I'm not into skate culture or, or skateboarding per se. Uh, so, but, but I do, I do find a beauty in it and there's some beautiful skateboarding footage, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie is barely about that. As you guys have indicated, it is about so much more. And it, I mean, it, it touches on things briefly, but in profound ways, it touches on race. It touches on, um, class and uh, socioeconomic status. It it really is a snapshot of Illinois, <laughs> you know, a very, a, a very small town and well, not small town, but a very um, Midwestern town, quite frankly, and where, what that's like in the last two decades and why we are where we are in America right now because of that. I was moved. I was horrified. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff about parenting that mm. hit me uh, particularly uh, hard. You know, it's, it is um, – it's a great movie that I really think should be seen by everybody. It's, I, I, got, I took a lot away from it. It's not a movie I will soon forget. Devendra Hardwar, your thoughts on Minding the Gap? I mean it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> like after all that. That's my review. No, it's uh, – yeah, I, I adored this movie too. Um, I, I think what's really – it feels like a film version – of a really well-told this American life story or something like that. It is such a, it's like a bottle encapsulation of, uh, you know, of what, you know, being Lou is going through and also his friends. And yeah, it just feels so authentic and so real. Like there are moments in this film where 
people are just bearing their souls to the camera and all their transgressions and the things that, you know, they did to their children that they could never take back. Um, but at the same time, like it is also so much about how these friends all support each other, how, how they use skateboarding to kind of escape terrible situations. Um, but yeah, it, it's everything you guys were talking about uh, a lot about the relationships between men and women right now. But I also think like the state of America right now, and being trapped somewhere uh, where you look around and you don't conceivably see a, you know, a life rope, like a mm-hmm. way to get out of your situation. Uh, there's so much going on in this movie. To me, it feels like a, uh, a realistic version of something we saw in like um, American honey or the Florida project. Like a lot of those themes are explored here. Uh, I just, I, I enjoy it too, because it's like, you look around and there there's probably drama like this happening among your friends. And the thing is, we just don't typically talk about it unless you're super like you're really great friends. And what what's fascinating about this movie, like you're saying, Jeff, is like, yeah, they're actually talking about it and confronting it. And to me, that also shows a film and of documentaries and of yeah. just like, yeah, just just talking about these issues in a way is cathartic and healing. Um, and as, as an audience, I think we kind of feel that as well. And also shout out to a lot of the skateboard footage. Uh, I, I, at the beginning, I was like, is he like, how is he following these skaters? Is he on the skateboard too? Right. And eventually you, you start to see like, oh, he is. So he's also like also skateboarding while shooting on like a monopod or a steady cam or something uh, to really. Yeah, he's using together. a glide cam a lot of the time, yeah. which is like, yeah, uh, I don't know if you've ever held a glide cam, but it is like extremely heavy and very. Um, you get it's diffi- out, difficult right? to balance, you know, like yeah, it's yeah, difficult yeah. So to like he's doing calibrate it while correctly. skateboarding. Yeah. Uh, keeping that balance, keeping that calibrated, following his friends. Uh, there's definitely points where like, oh, uh, your friend just like jumped over a curb. I can't follow because <laughs> I can't do that while holding a camera. <laughs> uh, but there are certainly sequences where they're just like astounding and beautiful. I also like that we got to see like, you know, uh, the, the uh, early footage he took, like we saw Bing's fascination with with shooting, with camera mm-hmm. yeah. and photography. It, and, you know, it's you like the his, first it's like mm-hmm. the first generation where that can be true, where you yeah. can go back to when they were little kids and then there'll be tons of footage because it was cheap enough and common enough for mm-hmm. kids to just take a camera out skateboarding with them. Yeah. Yeah. You see all that um, from looking at his IMD page. It looks like Bing Liu has also been working behind the camera in a lot of TV shows and, you know, some movies. So uh, it's not like he just like stepped out, you know, from college and directed this movie. But I think like it is a fascinating work of art and I'm looking forward to whatever he's doing next. Yeah, I'll say a couple quick words and then would love to get to spoilers for for this movie. Um, I I think this movie is a monumental achievement. You know, it's a movie that took many, many years to make. And uh, this is kind of the – what do you call it? What's the word I'm looking for? Like the – is it like Nepu Ultra? You know, like basically like the the purest form of documentary in the sense Mm -hmm. that um, this – this guy has been these people's friends and has been filming so long that he his presence of the camera feels like it completely disappears right like mm-hmm. he is in these environments where like couples are having arguments and um people are riffing about their lives in ways that are extremely honest uh and isn't it interesting that that we are in a in a time now where with the fact that everybody has cameras on them all the time actually very high quality cameras you can at a later date, decide you want to make a movie and have a 
ton of archival footage that you didn't know you were shooting a movie with. You know, but that's not yeah. what happened here. Like he was legit part shooting a movie the whole time. I think part. I think there are there are definitely uh, shots in the movie that I don't think he. Yeah. thought he was making a the movie early movie. stuff is them just sticking around the skateboard no, well, so like when they're like teenagers yeah, yeah but i mean yeah. like the what jeff's referring to like the i'm assuming the fights between nina and zach and like yeah, yeah, yeah. no i don't mean things... to be... yeah okay. i don't mean to be referring to I, I clearly he was filming a movie at that point but i'm saying like he, he could fill in so much backstory with footage mm-hmm. he had already and and we're like Every kid is going to have that now. Yeah. Like every well, kid in the has... future, Jeff, also the AI, like Instagram AI or whatever, will just do that. Yeah. It'll create like every, like we're already seeing it. Like the face, like some of the, you know, remember when this happened and your photos and stuff like yeah. Uh, eventually. Yeah. The, the services will be good enough to create a movie of your life with all the footage you've taken uh, for better or worse. Uh, but hopefully people will make their own movies too. Right. I think uh, the guy, Bing Liu, the director, does a great job of editing down years of footage into like a 90-minute story that's comprehensible, that shows the journeys of these individual characters. Uh, And uh, I think the result is is extremely compelling. And and like you guys said, does reveal a lot about American life and does reveal a lot about our current moment. but I think it's it's really about like these ordinary guys. It's really about these ordinary people and the triumphs and the joys and the tragedies and their suffering mm-hmm. and um, and in just filming ordinary people. It's like you, you know you see those compilations on YouTube of incredible skate tricks, and this movie presumes to ask, "Hey, uh, what if those people who did those tricks had lives? You know, like <laughs> what are, what are those lives like, and what 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 are those people like, and what happens if you follow them over the course of many many years?" How about um, okay skate tricks and very interesting people? All right, <laughs> watch that yeah. instead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, this movie shows that, like, basically, like uh, I- I- these people who are nothing particularly remarkable about them, uh, but everyone experiences uh, the the full spectrum of of human emotion, you know, on a long enough timeline. And I think uh, by sh- by revealing that shows that, like, we all have the capacity to experience these things as well. Um, and uh, I I really uh, love this movie. Loved a lot of things about it. So. Um, okay, let's get I, to. Yep, go ahead, Jeff. I, well, maybe this is better for spoilers. But my only question to you guys is, what's up with the title? I think it's a skating thing, right? It's um, my interpretation is like if you're skating, you have to, um, yeah, you know, watch for gaps. Watch for gaps. <laughs> this this is probably an example of where a different title may have also helped people. Uh, yes. latch on to this movie better because I also I, thought I was like oh is, is this just a skateboarding thing uh, that's fine that's cool I don't know why Dave wants to watch this but alright I'm in for it uh, maybe a more even a more oblique title or something more directly related to kind of the I don't know what he was going for yeah. but it, is, really it is an odd title about, yeah. yeah I don't know anything about skate stuff so I can't presume to understand what that definition may be but <laughs> based on the themes of the movie my guess would be the idea of like if if it if it is what I would assume for skate stuff with the idea like if you don't mind the gap you might wipe out I feel yeah, like then the yeah. title does make sense because they're very much talking about the idea of kind of falling through the cracks and having a life that is unextraordinary when mm. when they were teenagers they really thought that they were just gonna everything was gonna be amazing and that everybody like I mean Zach still says it in the in the movie that he feels like people that go about the yeah. like normal path are suckers basically right <laughs> um, so I feel in, like in that a wonderfully like, like triumphant speech by Zach yes. yeah. 
It's, oh God, man, oh, that speech is upsetting. Ooh, it's um, like part of it I get, and part of it I relate to, and part of it may I just want to shake him and just be like, no, like you are responsible for your actions. Stop it. Uh, I, I will say the one failure of this movie is not using the phrase "mining the gap" in a really like reverential and uh, you know prophetic way. <laughs> yeah, uh, to really explain all the things, and then have Ron really? Howard I say that's, that's the title of the film. I guess in a way, yes. for noobs I like guess us, in a way, we were all minding the gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thanks for that, Jeff. Um, so I think. Um, uh, what you know you guys mentioned the skate footage and i think what's great about it is these people use skating to kind of escape the problems of their lives and uh in order to convey how that's possible you really need good skate footage and i feel like that's one thing this movie completely nails is uh, you really like this some of the skating footage is really beautiful and feel yeah. like you, i feel like free like i feel like i can fly you know just watching the skating footage and um and i think that really did a great job of kind of driving that point home so it, did, it didn't even look like he had a gopro it looked like a full like you yeah. could see the shadow of the camera he had like full side it looked like camera, a full camcorder like, you know around. full yeah. like shoulder mounted camcorder um so <laughs> well, i think like... the years that they were skating heavily was pre-gopro you know i think yeah. it was it was a few years ago now so yeah. yeah uh anyway okay so there's a few more things to talk about let's get into it in spoilers for minding the gap starting right now now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. Now. You want to be fooled. I, I really love this movie. One of the things mm-hmm. that I I wish, um, or there's just like two very minor issues i had with the movie very minor not even like problems uh just kind of like things i'm I'm just kind of still thinking about one is the way the movie depicts the passage of time uh some sometimes i found it to be very disorienting like it uses uh, a child <laughs> right it uses a kid but it's like these this couple's together and then like all of a sudden in voiceover like they're not together anymore or uh you know the guy uh, is zach is the guy's name right who moves to colorado yeah. To, yeah. For, to be with a girl who's like introduced off screen, you know, it's just like, whoa, like, what is this? Is that even the same girl? I mean, that's not important to the plot, but I thought, I think it's that he moved there with one girl and then came back with another. I didn't e- see, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even know that that was the case. I thought I it mean, was the same not, girl. Right. That's not totally important. And I feel like, I, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I didn't have a hard time tracking. I don't like, I don't know how much time passed in between stuff, but yeah. I, I agree yeah. with Jeff that like watching Elliot grow up, uh, sank kind of how much time is going by. Yeah. For me, and um, you know, the fact that it was like you—he never seemed to know what was going on with Zach and Nina. I felt like that just seemed reflective of like I think we all have friends who have relationships like that. Where you're like, so what's going on with you guys again? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. I, I can see yeah. what you're saying, but I didn't really see that as an obstacle for me. Yeah, I, I'm I'm very happy they didn't like specifically sit down and say like, oh, this is happening now. It's not like an office. Yeah, it's not like the office where you know people are just sitting down and getting interviewed. It feels more organic in a way. Like they're just. They're just talking, even yeah. though he is getting those same sorts of interviews, too. It's like, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like uh, Richard Linklater's uh, Boyhood. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. where, <laughs> yeah. where yeah. like, the next shot is just like, from the one shot to the next shot, you yeah. know, uh, a year has passed. And it's yep. not mm. it's not clear that that's happened. So it's just interesting. You know, I don't even know if it's a real problem. Like I said, it's just like different documentaries choose different ways of conveying the passage of time. And I occasionally found this one disorienting, but, you know, it didn't, didn't he- lessen the impact of the overall film. He clearly uses some earlier footage later in the movie too, and it, it, it that yeah. was a m- moment where I felt like I, I understand 
thematically why you're doing this and what the point you're trying to make is, but it felt a little disingenuous because as you said, it's never clear what time anything takes place. And then, you know, there's stuff from when he was working as a roofer that's used at the end right. where it's like, this feels like a summation of where he is now, but we know that that was years before what we saw just recently in the film. So yeah, yeah it, it does feel a little manipulative that way. But again, I, I agree with you. It's a nit that doesn't really take away anything from the movie for me. Let's let's talk about the two big confrontations that happen in this film, right? One of them is uh, when he interviews his mom. And I actually listened to Bing Lu give an interview talking about how he got this interview with his mom, right? And he had mm-hmm. he had like hired this film crew from Chicago and they had driven all the way. It's the the only footage in the movie that's not shot by him. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. uh and he confronts his mom and it is like one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen in yeah. a film. And uh, I mean, it is a confrontation, but he does it so gently. Like he's basically mm-hmm. saying to his mom, like, why did you marry a guy who beat me? And like, that's, it's such a hard conversation. And it's interesting how they show it because he's filmed, but it's not like, it's not like a two shot. Like, it's not like they're yeah. doing an interview on Dateline or something. Like he has it set up that he's behind all the equipment and, and she says she can barely see him. Yep. And, I feel like he did that, I mean, maybe not consciously, but I think on some level because he needed that distance to ask these questions. If he was the interviewer in this situation and not the son, he could ask these questions that have been bothering him. And I thought that it was really interesting to show those. There's actually a scene where, and I forget exactly what she says, but she says something, oh, it's after they cut. And he says cut because his mom has started crying and he leans to the side and he's almost out of frame but in the edit they stay on him mm-hmm. and i felt like things like that were some of the stronger moments of the film because they're really showing you who he is and i would have liked a little more of that because i like they they kind of try to contrast his life like his friends try to be like oh well you this this and this and i'm like we don't actually know what his deal is like I did not know that he was working successfully in television and film. Um, I did. I don't know if he's married. I don't know. I'm unclear if he still lives in that town. Like I would have liked to have known more about where he's at um, because I feel like the context of that would have been important to understand kind of the contrast between him and Zach and um, what's the guy, the third guy's name? Kier, I think. Kier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that could have been stronger, but um, I do feel like his, the, the, the trade-off on that is it's not like we don't see him because the film is so very distinctly from his perspective and it walks us through the journey of him coming to terms with his own past and coming to terms with what's going on with Zach and Nina. And I feel like that kind of makes me okay that we don't get more context on him. Like, I'd, I'd like it, but I, I feel yeah. like he does give a lot of himself in another respect. I like mm. the slow reveal that this is basically, you know, oh, we think he's doing this for his friends, but it's also really also about him and how they're all working through their own, you know, screwed up lives, basically, mm-hmm. with skateboarding and through this process of also talking about uh, their friendship and, you know, what their Free therapy, are. as Kier says. There you go. Apparently there were early cuts of this movie where that whole confrontation with his mom and, like... Uh, any like backstory about being himself was not in the film. Um, And there was this uh, line he says in the movie where like Kier's talking about how his father beat him. And he's like, yeah, you you know, like I have cried or something like that. And being like Bing says, I have cried. And then people heard that line and they're like, well, that's kind of weird that you put that line in there, but then we don't hear about that again uh, in the rest of the film. And so like people encouraged him to kind of put his own story in the movie. Um, you know, when I see that 
that um, it, it, when I see that confrontation with him and his mom, it is just it's like this is a this is a person's weakness like laid bare for the world to mm. see. You know, it is just she's confessing that is because of her weakness that like this the, all these horrible things happen and. It is such a raw, uh, gut-wrenching moment, um, but it, it's also kind of – you're seeing emotional catharsis take place in real time in a documentary <laughs> film, and it's really it, intense. It's extraordinary that she stays in it. Like she's she's there in front of what you would assume to be several crew people. Yeah. And, you know, and she is – doesn't ever you know say, I can't do this with these people here or why would you – film this or any, I mean, she's, she says it, it broke my heart when she said, I will, I will do whatever you need. If you need to make a movie to do this, I will. Right. It's to like, heal. She said ah, the words it, to heal when she said to heal that really hit. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it is, it's a wallop of a moment and um, yeah, it's hard to watch and you, you, you wonder, you know, like I said, watching that this week in, in the swirling news cycle of, of the Kavanaugh hearings and hearing Dr. Blasey Ford recount a life that has been irrevocably changed by the violence and, uh, abuse. Uh, it, it is, uh, easy to understand how these things can shape a whole life. And you felt really lucky the, the, the family that I was born into and the life that I've had and, uh, how, even people who are good intentioned and have a good heart and uh, can have these moments, these things in their lives. And, you know, the thing she says where she says, I just didn't want to be alone, mm-hmm. you know, and then you juxtapose that with um, Kier's mom, who we see is with what is clearly a terrible boyfriend, just an, a monster of a person who says, time's up, you know, can't. And then later oh, on, God. what happened to your- that, that whole exchange like said so much, by the way. Like we barely yeah. see him, but that whole like yeah, the whole controlling exchange. Yeah, we get a glimpse of him. Like we had like two seconds. Oh, he walks by the yeah yeah yeah. yeah. That yeah. that moment so I thought in the movie I thought was completely fascinating. Where later on yeah. he just asks her, "Hey, what happened to your boyfriend?" And she's just like, "Oh, he's not around anymore." And she's like, "No, she." It's worse than that. She says, "What boyfriend?" Oh. And like like she wants to erase yeah. it from ever but having he happened. Was a stupid well, friend. I mean, yeah. I, I, I also just feel like that might be he wasn't around that long. I don't know. I get yeah, nervous yeah. about the idea of applying like what we assume their attentions and motivations are to characters who are, who aren't in it very much and who are real people. That makes me a little anxious. But I did think it was interesting that they show how these relationships can feel festering and can feel dangerous and yeah. how we respond to them. Because Kier's response is to basically hide from the guy. And I don't blame him. That That, that seemed like a you know, and a nerve wracking situation. And then, you know, with his mom, he confronts her about like, why didn't you do something? And then we get to like Zach and Nina. And like, I was very nervous watching this because when they first bring up Nina and the fight, the one Mm -hmm. that's like, they get an audio recording of. Yeah. My hair was on end because the way she's yelling, I thought like, like, and they, they play and they're like, yeah, she's just a crazy bitch. Like blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. And they're just, you know, and, like, you can hear that conversation anywhere where, like, oh, this girl just totally overreacted. I don't know why she's being this way, whatever. She's so dramatic. 
but she says, even in that recording, even when we only have the recording, she says, get your hands off me. And like, for me, that just made me very anxious. And I was like, I really hope this doesn't start going into being like, oh, well, we're totally going to take Zach's side because Zach's the friend and like whatever. And so when they go to her and she's basically like, he his coffee table is broken because he put me through it. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was really interesting. And then he follows up with her. Because then it's kind of, you're left with this thing of, like, is he going to address this again? Because, like, yeah, you've, yeah. you've you addressed it with your mom. Are you just going to let this go? And then he has that conversation with her when Zach's not in the car and basically says, like, I have to say something. And she's like, don't, because you're going to, like, we're having a good moment. I don't want it to be ruined. And it's like, that's so unfair that she feels like that burden is on her. Mm-hmm. Like, she did something wrong. And it's to watch him slowly start to figure it out and to even try to talk to Kier about it and be like, can you imagine Kier? Like, can you imagine Zach hitting a woman? Yeah. And then when he finally gets around to asking Zach, and again, he does it so gently. And Zach does that justification for why, like, what does he say? Some girls just need to get hit. Yeah. He might even say some, bitches. Yeah, he says some bitches just need to get smacked or something. Yeah. Like like, and you it, see him wind yeah. himself to the point where, and you like you see him like bargaining yeah, the whole with himself. Thought process, yeah, yeah it's occurring there in real you time. You should never, you should never, uh, you know, hit a woman, and then proceeds to say, sometimes you have to yeah. hit a woman. It is a yeah. crazy yeah. mental gymnastics you but see him like, go through. That moment clearly happened way earlier in the timeline, you know. It, so that was a, a bit a bit weird to me. Um, oh, is that yeah. the one? You, I don't know that that's true. His He's hair changes his, a lot. His hair changes a lot. He's in his roofing outfit in that for that conversation, Mm. which I don't think he got that job back. I think that was during a period where he was the roofer, Mm. which is much much earlier than ever going to Colorado. And and yeah, but some documentaries need to move things around all the time to like create a story out of them. You know what I mean? So I agree, but yeah, yeah, but fair fair point. Fair point that you know I I can understand feeling deceived by that. But Christy, you were in the middle of making a point about that moment, yeah. Well, that's what I thought was so fascinating is like, and why I get hesitant about us as assuming things about other characters in the film Mm -hmm. is because I feel like Bing did such an amazing job of showing the different sides of people that like, you know, he introduces Nina and she's just kind of like, you know, the girlfriend who's pregnant and we don't really think very much about her at first, I think, just because she just, she just seems kind of a hanger onto this circle. And, and then it's like, you know, they, the Zach tries to paint her like the crazy ex-girlfriend and then we get to know more about Nina and it's about how her aunt and uncle like finally showed her what family could be and finally showed her like where she could go. And like, I remember when we, I watched it with my husband and at the end when it came up and said like, you know, she's a high she's training to be a high school guidance counselor. Like he like expressed like significant relief. And he was like, you know, yeah. like we were proud of her because it's like, yeah, we got to see more of her than just that one shade. And similarly with Zach, Zach gets introduced. Like he was the cool kid. He was the guy everybody wanted to be. And then in a way that is really respectful, Bing chips away at that and shows how there are these layers to people where we are good and we are bad. And like he introduces not only the Nina thing and 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 like the way he confronts him on it, I thought was really humane because, yeah, he's doing it with a camera there. So there's a certain level of Zach that probably wants to protect himself from what's being what he's saying. But it's also just so vulnerable and so frank the way he is trying to say he didn't do it. Like it starts off where he's kind of sort of denying this thing without getting totally called out on it. And then he starts stepping through and then he starts justifying himself. And then he ends with that line about like, yeah, bitch, some bitches need to get smacked. And like, you even see it on his face that he hates that he said that, 
but it's like he also has to own that that's what he did. And, you know, I think it's interesting. And I, maybe that did happen sooner. I didn't catch that, but you may be right. I'd be curious just to, to figure, see then where the other stuff where he starts talking about whether or not he's a good influence on his son comes into play. Yeah. But regardless, I found that to be such an interesting arc because it dives into a complexity of character that I feel like a lot of dramas have a hard time doing. So to be able to do that in a documentary and a documentary where you were friends with these people, where you were also trying to create this arc and to be respectful, but also like be truthful and in a way that like might hurt them. Like it must've been really hard for some of his friends to watch parts of that documentary. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious um, how his friend feels about his depiction in the movie. You know, Jeff was saying, how like uh, what the impact of this movie might have been, and I'm very curious about that. But, um, but yeah, I think you captured the way he he did that confrontation very well, Christy. And I think um, it is it does feel like the moment the entire film has been building up to. You know, is, that one is and the, the mom confrontation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, like two sides of the domestic violence uh, conversation, right? The, and one. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. One thing I wanted to add is then at the end of that thing where he says about some bitches just need to get slapped. It's like he Bing stays on him for a second. And I started to wonder, like, well, what does Bing think about this? And then in response, he cuts back to that interview with his mom. And I thought that that like is a very strong statement of how he feels about that. Mm hmm. And I thought that that was like I, I literally gasped and it's just it cuts back to him and his mom and him with his mom looking really rattled. And I just thought that that was excellent filmmaking. Like that's such a great use of edit to express emotion in a way that, you know, is total cool shove effect because it's not like his mom was actually listening to what Zach said. But right. through that, we understand how Bing feels. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a lovely moment. And speaking speaking of like other filmmaking techniques in the movie. Uh, one thing I actually thought about, this is like a, kind of on a different topic, but like uh, all the skating scenes, I mentioned it earlier, I meant to bring this up, but like they happen uh, against this backdrop where there seems to be like the, the place they're in seems to be completely unpopulated. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's a ghost town. Yeah. It, yeah, it yeah. feels like a ghost town. And, and I feel like just the settings of, of where they hang out and where they spend time, it just feels like a um a really uh interesting subtle and masterful way of conveying the environment they live in and kind of the the overall lack of hope that these people have right um uh, about getting out of the environment uh, i thought anyway i just thought um yeah you know there are many many great th- there's that one moment when like there's that dudes on the roof and like uh, of that house and like smash cut to um Smash cut to like the house being completely silent, and you kind of you you feel like the passage of time and how it kind of wears these people down. Anyway, uh, I'm 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 rambling a little bit, but uh, I think we all really thought many things about the movie were great. Is there anything else people want to bring up before we wrap up here? I love uh, what was it here? Uh, I love him very much, and yeah. I want to be his friend. He is he seems like such a like nice and genuine soul, and it really I think one of the parts like this movie hurt my heart many times, but also. The idea that, yeah, you know, he was abused by his father and Mm -hmm. he's dealing with all these relationship issues with his mother. I think um, one of my favorite parts of the movie is that he, you know, he found he found he figured out what his father was telling him all along, like the idea of, you know, finding a work ethic. And he built himself up and he got he got out of there. And that's so damn triumphant. When he gets promoted to waiter, like I literally. Yeah, I cheered. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I'm also uh, really uh, kind of empathized with the journey of Bing, you know, like and mm-hmm. and how he got like he he's less of a, a major character in this story, but you know he had to deal with all this trauma as well and was able to make a Sundance award winning film, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that's like a tremendous achievement as well. And this is a kind of movie that you can only make like three of in your life you know what i mean like <laughs> a movie of this scope you know what i mean like you just can't you can't like make one of these a year you know right come back to it in 10 years like do you uh yeah do you link later thing or what was the uh seven up that like film? the seven yeah, up yeah. movies do yeah. seven up yeah. yeah uh well i'm glad we all enjoyed the movie and can bring uh this year's summer movie wager to a close um i would recommend anyone watch minding the gap um it is available right now on hulu and in limited release uh and yeah bing lu this is a guy who is a director that's going to be worth watching in the future. Uh, really excited to see what he does next. Uh, all right. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week and find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Uh, and our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And we have an announcement to make today. Um, for the last, I want to say, eight or nine months, Christy has been a regular contributor on the Slash Filmcast. We've been super grateful and appreciative for all the uh, perspectives and opinions she's brought to the show. Uh, But Christy, this will be your last uh, episode as a regular contributor. That doesn't mean Christy won't be around again, but it just means uh, it may be a little bit more infrequent going forward. Uh, She will appear as a guest in future episodes. But Christy, we wanted to say thank you um, for joining us on the podcast. And um, please tell people where they can find more of your work, uh, and how they can follow you uh, in the days going forward. Yeah, uh, I just want to say thanks to everybody. It's been uh, it's been a real trip, man. It's been really fun to talk about these movies and to discuss what film criticism is and to get to share my perspective on these things uh, has been a real honor. And it's been really great getting to know not just you guys, but also the wider slash film cast family. And, um, you know, you guys can keep in touch with me with, on Twitter. I'm at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. I write every day at pajiba.com and you can find my career highlights at decadentcriminals.com. So keep up with me on Twitter or at decadentcriminals.com because I've got a lot more coming from Fantastic Fest, New York Film Fest, and then we're in award season. There's a bunch coming with that. Thank you very much, Christy. Jeff Kanata, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Devinder Hardware? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. I just want to say, Christy, it was so great having you on for these past few months, and I definitely want to get you back on for some guest shows. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much for, for everything. And the show is going to be crazy over the next month. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. So uh, <laughs> we, 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 it's going to be – hope you guys can buckle in for a w- weird wild ride, but uh, – Tinder's going to have a kid. There's going to be. Uh, I'm going to be out. For, like, and that's out. what I was going to say. I'm actually going to be out for the next few weeks at least. Um, so, in the meantime, follow me on Twitter at Dave Chensky and find me at DaveChen.net. Uh, but I will be at the Winchester, Virginia Alamo Draft House this Saturday, uh, which is, I want to say, October 5th? 6th? Uh, October 6th. Uh, me and Stephen Tobolowski will be there presenting uh, my film, The Primary Instinct. Winchester Alamo Drafthouse was kind enough to invite me. Uh, but yeah, I'll be traveling to Virginia, and then I'll be out next week and the week after, and probably the rest of October, 
Um, so Jeff will be uh, holding down the fort here on the podcast. And uh, who knows what will happen after that. But um, in any case, hang in there. Um, thank you, Christy. Thank you to our listeners for uh, understanding all the stuff that's going to happen in the next month. And we'll see you next week for our review of, I'm going to say Venom, Jeff, right? That's the movie? You're gonna, you're <laughs> Maybe. Stars Born, Venom, sure. who knows? We'll see. Venom, it's the same thing. Probably it's basically Venom. the same it's movie. A, you know, yeah. yeah. Have you guys seen the mashup on Twitter? It's pretty great. Oh, no. We should I, review that. I think if people... A lot of <laughs> people Go to my Twitter say- account. I retweeted it. It's from the Alamo Draft House. It's amazing. A lot of people have been saying that if Venom can get more people to watch Upgrade, it'll have been worth it. You know, and um, I don't disagree with that sentiment. Yeah. What does that mean? So, <laughs> just as an FYI, like Upgrade stars Logan Marshall Green, uh, who has Tom often clone. not Tom Hardy. What is this? Tom Hardy's mean? clone. Yes. Tom Hardy's clone, and the plot of like body augmentation is extremely similar. It's like eighty uh. percent the same movie. Yeah, it's like eighty percent the same movie, <laughs> except I can almost guarantee you that even though Upgrade has one. 20th of the budget of Venom I think it probably is going to be a better film Is that is just an educated guess um, but yes Venom the, the, those interviews with uh, Ruben Fleischer and Tom Hardy going around right now are wild so check those out <laughs> yeah so that, that could be interesting um, but anyway thanks for listening we'll see you later <laughs>